Well, I was teaching at the uh, Liberty School of Divinity in the graduate school, uh, training some church planners four and a half years ago. And uh, we were in Matthew 16, verse 18, where Jesus gave a great promise. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, I made one of those statements that professors get away with. I said, I believe that if we uh, would learn to cooperate with Jesus in planting churches, you can plant a church anywhere and it would kick in the gates of hell. It just so happened that that, uh, the Holy Spirit heard me say that. (laughs) And immediately I felt the the voice of the Lord say to me, do you believe that, Dave? So I'm teaching class, but I'm having a conversation with God. And uh, I said, yeah, I believe that. And the next uh, thing I heard was, well, then go find the gates of hell and plant a church. Three years ago, Kathy and I moved to Las Vegas, Nevada, also known as what city? Sin City. City. And uh, Paul wrote to the Romans, and he said, where sin abounds, grace should abound that much more. And so the name of our church is Grace City. And we're trying to do our part to see God transform Sin City into Grace City. Well, uh, we live up to our name in Las Vegas. We are Sin City. We lead the nation in addiction, sex addiction, gambling addiction, alcohol addiction, drug addiction. We have more casinos, more strip clubs, more nightclubs than anywhere else in the world. Uh, L.A. comes to Las Vegas every weekend to party. Um, Prostitution is legal in our state. Gambling is legal. You can gamble in Walmart. Um, Alcohol is sold uh, every day of the year, every hour of the day. We're a city that never sleeps and sin never uh, takes a day off. We lead in divorce. We lead in abandoned kids. We lead in the amount of alcohol consumed per person daily. And you add all that up, we lead the nation in suicide. We dwarf the uh, national average. We live in a broken city. But Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Our church is inside Las Vegas. There's some great churches and stuff going on outside the city limits. But where we're at is ironically called paradise. And um, the two zip codes we are in have 122,000 people. Now, I want you to get your head around this. 122,000 people. And uh, on Easter Sunday, if we added up the handful of Christian churches in the two zip codes that are not Catholic, not Mormon, not Jehovah's Witness, not New Age, Christian churches, gospel-preaching churches, the attendance this last year was 2,000 people. We have three church buildings in our zip code. Um, That's 1.6% of our population. That makes us, by number, an unreached people group. So you don't have to leave the country to find a mission field. Uh, You know, compare that. When I was in Gehenna, um, 30,000 people, I counted up one one year, and there were 8,000 people in church that Easter out of 30,000 people. So think of the difference. So uh, when you pray for us, we appreciate it. One of the sweetest things, it's been great seeing so many of the people that we love so much this weekend. 
and it's great to be back at this church. But the thing that really meant a lot to me is a lot of you will say, you've been getting our newsletter and you pray for us consistently. That uh, means the world to us. And if you don't get our newsletter, you can stop by the table right on your way out and get a newsletter. Also, when I, when I uh, left New Life and went to Liberty, I wrote a lot of books. So you can pick up some of those books. One of them I recommend to you um, came out of when we started this church 30 years ago. Um, we knocked on doors around the neighborhoods here and asked several questions. And one of the questions was, if you could ask God any question, what would you ask him? And the, the th answer we got most often was, why do bad things happen to good people? And so that's the number one question of Christians, and that's the number one question of non-Christians and atheists. That's their biggest hang-up. Uh, there's a little book back there and a bunch of others, and marriage books and prayer books and a bunch of things that you can pick up and... Um, so we'd appreciate that. I also want to say thank you to this church because uh, you have supported us as a church plant of uh, New Life Church. And we appreciate your generosity. We appreciate your prayers. The team came out for our launch Sunday two and a half years ago. And so we want to thank you for that. Okay, tell the person next to you, first of all, say, you know, um, he looks a lot older, but I think Kathy looked uh, about the same. Go ahead. You can say that. <laughs> And go ahead, I'll give you permission. You can say to the person next to you, when is he going to start preaching? <laughs> I'm starting right now, so you better fasten your seatbelt. Here we go. We're going to talk about gospel-powered love. Say it with me. Gospel-powered love. Say it with a little feeling. Gospel-powered love. Yeah, that's what we're supposed to live out. Because if the gospel, I appreciate Steve saying, if it's taken... Uh, Root in your life, it will bear fruit in your life. And so when you really get it, it changes you. And it changes you in such a way that it's got to come out and impact other people. We're going to talk today about gospel-powered love, and the context is talking about loving your neighbor. Three times in the New Testament, Jesus reiterated this command. One of them is in Mark chapter 12. So go to Mark chapter 12. I think you've got a handout in your bulletin as well. It's going to be on the screens. If you get it on your phone, don't go texting and, and Facebooking while I'm talking, because I'll come and take that phone away from you. <laughs> I used to teach freshmen at Liberty, so. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. One of the scribes approached, and when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, they were trying to trap Jesus so they could find an excuse to kill him. And so they're asking Jesus questions. And so this guy, this is his question. Which command is the most important of all? Now, there's 610 commands the Jews followed from the Old Testament. He's like, which one's the most important? He figured that would be controversial, but Jesus uh, obviously blew that up. Verse 29, this is the most important, Jesus answered him. And now he quotes the Old Testament. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Here we come. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other command greater than these. So he summarized the entire Old Testament in two commands, love God and love your neighbor. But then he comes back at a, a, few, uh, a short time later during uh, an event we call the Last Supper, and he looks at his uh, disciples and he says, look, guys, 
a new commandment. So there's the great commandment. This is the new commandment. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. By this will all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. I think loving one another has to do with loving those that are in the family of God, that are part of our Christian community, people we're doing life with as believers. Loving your neighbor is loving those outside. And so I'm going to talk to you about uh, what it means to love your neighbor, those that are outside the family of God. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, look at uh, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We have the same scenario, although Luke adds a, a parable that Jesus gave to it. Luke 10, 25, an expert of the law stood up saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. It says, You answered correctly, he told him, Do this and live. But wanting to justify himself, the man asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So what we're going to do for the next minute or two is we're going to answer that question using the parable of Jesus. Who is it that you are responsible to love? When Jesus says the, the part of the great commandment is love your neighbor. Jesus took up the question and said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jer Jericho. And that's a downhill walk um, down a narrow uh, road uh, going down to the Jordan River fell into the hands of robbers they stripped him beat him and fled leaving him half dead so this is a guy with great hurt and great need remember that in the same way uh, a priest uh, happened to be going down that road and when he saw him he passed by on the other side so this priest saw him and didn't do anything about it in the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, saw him and passed by on the other side. So he saw him and didn't do anything about it. Verse 33, key verse, it says, but a Samaritan. Now, Samaritans were people that were looked down on by the Jews because they were ethnically mixed. They were half Jewish and half Gentile. They also were religiously mixed. They had Judaism, and then they had an amalgamation of some uh, pagan religions, and so the Jews looked down at them as not as good as the Jews were. But yet when a Jewish man is hurting, the priest passed him by, the Levite passed him by, but a Samaritan, it says, on his journey came up to him, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So this guy felt something. Uh, when you experience the gospel, you feel something. It changes you. Not only changes your attitude and outlook about God, but it changes your attitude and outlook about people. He had compassion. He went over to him and he bandaged his wounds. He not only felt something, but he did something. He went over, he bandaged his wounds, he poured on oil and wine, and then he took him on his own animal. He brought him to the inn and he took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, which was quite a bit of money, and he gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Now notice the next verse, it's key. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Tell your neighbor the answer to that question. Go ahead. It's not hard. It's not a trick question. It's obvious. 
The guy said, the one that showed him mercy. And Jesus said, go and do the same. I want you to understand something today. You cannot not love your neighbor and love God. You can't say you're loving God and not love your neighbor because if you love me, he said, you'll keep my commandments. Loving your neighbor is not an option. It's a command. It's a choice. It's a decision. So if you're going to follow God, this is part of what it means to follow God, and you'll learn a whole lot about God as you learn to love your neighbor. Tell the person next to you, love your neighbor. Say it with feeling. Yes, and I'm going to give you three things that will help you love your neighbor. Number one, you got to be intentional about being Jesus in your neighbors, uh, to your neighbors. You got to be intentional about being Jesus to your neighbors. All right, a little bit of theology for you. There's an event historically we call the incarnation of Jesus Christ, and we celebrate it. We have a whole day of the year we dedicate to this event. It is commonly called what? Christmas. Christmas, we celebrate God. No, not Groundhog's Day. I don't know what you're thinking. Um, We celebrate God becoming a man. God becoming a man. Taking human flesh. Being locked into a human body. John 1 verse 14, it says the word, that's Jesus, became flesh and blood. That happened when he was, became a baby and moved into the neighborhood. And that's what I want you to see. He became incarnate. He took human flesh, but he didn't stay up on a mountain somewhere in an ivory tower. He got down into the neighborhood. All right, I got a question for you. Where is Jesus right now? He's in heaven. He ascended back into heaven. He rose from the dead, walked on earth for 40 days, and ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Actually, when you deal with God on earth, you're dealing with the Holy Spirit. Where's the body of Jesus on earth? In this room. We are the body of Jesus Christ. It says so in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 12. It says, you are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. Look, Jesus, if Jesus wants to reach your neighbor, and he does... His way of doing it is probably going to be through his body, which is you and I. We are his body. We're his hands. We're his feet. We're his mouth. Look, if you see a part of your city where it doesn't seem like the body, where Jesus is doing anything, don't blame Jesus. <laughs> that means the body is not doing what it should do. Where I live, we don't have a lot of churches. We don't have a lot of Christians. I just gave you some statistics. Where's the body of Christ? It's up to us to be the body of Christ. You're going to be the Jesus that your neighbors see and hear and that uh, encounter uh, if they're going to encounter God. Now, loving your neighbor and, and being Jesus to your neighbors works no matter where you live. You don't have to be in Las Vegas. Kathy and I have lived in three places. We lived in Lynchburg, Virginia, in the Bible Belt. We lived here in the Midwest, and we've lived in Las Vegas. And we've seen that you can love your neighbor no matter where you live. 
So let's talk about ex three things you can do and, and, um, and how this works. Let me tell you about our first neighbors in Gehanna. We lived on Wendler Boulevard. You know where that is? Right down the road here off Stigler. And we moved into a little house there, and we had neighbors next door that had moved in a couple months in front of us named Sean and Kathy. Say Sean and Kathy. Those were our neighbors. Well, when I meet a person, I have a passion to see every person I meet give their life completely, totally to Jesus Christ to such an extent that they would be willing to take the gospel anywhere on the planet and die trying. But the first time I met Sean, I did not say, Sean, how would you like to give your entire life to Jesus Christ, sell everything you have, go somewhere that's nasty in the world, taking the gospel, and die if you need to? I didn't ask him that. I said, why don't you guys come over for some Briar's ice cream? <laughs> Guess what he said? Yes! You know, we're ineffective in evangelism because we, fr we don't realize it's a process leading to an event, and we tend to ask a big ask before somebody's ready to say yes to that, we get discouraged. We, we just aren't asking the right question. We need to ask an ask that they can answer yes. Well, he, he came over and they had a good time and we said, hey, why don't you guys, uh, you want to come back next week for dinner? He said, yes. So I'm a few days later out in his yard, and uh, we got talking, and he, he confided that hi, him and his Kathy were not doing especially well, and they were going to get married here um, in a, a couple months. And I said, well, well, can I pray for you? That was my ask. He said, well, I said, it won't hurt, and, and uh, let me just pray for you right now. And I just put my hand on his shoulder, and I prayed for him. And I got done, and I noticed he had tears in his eyes. I said, what? And he said, nobody's ever prayed for me before. Well, we had him back over again for dinner, I think, and then we uh, invited them. We said, hey, we're starting a new church down the street in Gehanna Middle School West. You don't ever have to come back, but I'd like to ask you to come just as an outsider, checking it out, and then tell us what you think, what we could do better afterwards. Could you do that? They said, yes. I think it's too often we invite people to church, uh, and we need to, you need to invite to somebody to coffee or to lunch or to ice cream before you invite them to church. We are making the wrong invitation. Well, they came to church, and afterward, they, they gave me an ask. They said, can we come back? Guess what I said? Yes, yes, yes absolutely. They came back, and they liked it, and they kept coming. Then we invited them to dinner again, and uh, part of the dinner, I said, hey, would you mind if I just told you my story? And I gave them like a five or ten minute, my testimony be before Jesus, how I met Jesus, and how Jesus has changed me. And they really liked it, and they thanked me. And I said, well, would you mind if I told you Jesus' story? And I told them the Jesus story of how God loves them and created this world, and sin had broken that uh, relationship and God sent his son Jesus to restore that relationship and he lived a perfect life and he died on a cross and he rose again from the dead and, and they're like we never understood that before I said would you like to give your life to that as much as you know right now would you like to, to turn from your sin and ask God to 
to come into your life and change you? And they said, yes. Well, I'm a little bit uh, hardcore, and I said, well, if, if you really mean this, we're going to get down on our knees right here, and we're going to tell him out loud. I said, are you going to do that? They said, and they did. They got born again, saved. Say, yay, God. Right here in Gehanna, Ohio. People get saved in Gehanna, Ohio. They became part of our church and, and uh, served, and eventually they moved to another city, but yay to God. It also works in Las Vegas. Let me tell you about two of my neighbors in Las Vegas quickly. One is uh, Randy and his wife, Michael. That's Randy's house on the left. That's my house on the right. Randy, Randy had moved in uh, to where we lived in Las Vegas about two months before we did. He was working. He had a job there. He moved from San Francisco. And his wife, uh, they had a daughter still in school, so they were waiting till she finished school to go pick her up and, and, and to bring everybody in the furniture back. Well, we moved to Las Vegas. Kathy got into our house a few weeks early to get set up, and I came out with 15 students from Liberty University who were part of our church planning team. Well, I came out with two trucks. We got there uh, Thursday evening. Kathy had dinner for us. We all ate, and then the doorbell rang, and it was the neighbor kids. Kathy had been there a few weeks and had been playing with the neighbor kids, and they said, can Kathy come out and play? <laughs> We're like, yeah, but you're going to get more than that. So they got 15 college kids. And they're out there playing with these kids, and then more kids started coming, and then their parents came to see what was going on. And I've been in Las Vegas an hour and a half, and I am introducing all the neighbors to each other. Because people in Las Vegas don't know each other. We're, we're the most transient city and the most isolated city in America. Well, um, Kathy sees Randy there, and, and we get talking to him and realize he's our next-door neighbor. And she said, so you're there all by yourself? And he said, yeah. And she said, so you're kind of lonely and you're hungry? And he said, yeah. She said, can I invite you to dinner? He said, yes. He came to dinner. We found out that he thought he was an atheist. and um, We didn't say a whole lot about God, but he, he kept raving about it. And she said, would you like to come back next week? He said, yes. Well, in the course of dinner, he did find out that why we came to start a church. And he also said, this weekend, I'm going to get a truck. I'm going to load up my wife and my daughter. I'm going to bring all our furniture back. And I said, well, can we help you unload? And uh, sometimes you've got to meet physical needs before you can meet spiritual needs. Okay? I said, can we help you unload? He said, no, I grew up in Las Vegas. I got family here, and I work here now, and the guys that work for me, they're, they will all unload me. I said, okay. I said, if you need any help, here's my number. Well, late Sunday afternoon, I get a phone call, and he says, no one showed up. Can you help? I said, yeah. We went over, took a bunch of college guys. They unloaded his truck and put everything away exactly where they wanted it within 25 minutes. He said, I am blown away. He said, anything you want, uh, I, what can I do for you? Then he said, anything you want, I'll do it. In fact, I will even come to your church. <laughs> I said, awesome. He said, where do you meet? I said, next door. 
I said, we just moved here. We got a house church next door. We start at 1030 on Sundays. He said, I'm a man of my word. We will be there. At 1030, he and his wife, Michael, come in, deer in the headlights, and and we had some worship, and we were going through the Gospel of John, and within three weeks, they, they came back within three weeks, they got saved. Say, yay, God. But that's not the end of the story. You know you got to keep loving your neighbors after they get saved. We began to have them for dinner every Monday night, and uh, we put them on this discipleship plan, read the Gospels. So they would read a chapter a day and then uh, come in and out of those seven chapters ask us questions. We went through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The other thing was when Michael got saved, she got saved actually the week after Randy. He said, dude, I am, you've changed our lives. You have changed our lives. What can we do for you? Anything you ask. And I said, well, you've got a pool and we don't have a pool. <laughs> I said, we got people we need to baptize, including you guys. Uh, so can we use your pool for baptism? So our first baptism was held at their house in their pool um, three years ago. Say, yay, God. <laughs> well, the story doesn't end there. Let's go to the next slide. We did our, we went through Matthew one month, August, September, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then he said, I want more. So he and I began, kept meeting on Mondays, and we went through one of the books back there, which is called Evangelism Is, and there's a, an assignment in there that says you need to share your testimony with five people this week. He said, piece of cake. I got 13 guys that work for me. I'll just share it at work. He did. He came back. He said, they loved it. He said, what's next? I said, you get to share the Romans road of the gospel with five guys this week. He said, I'll get 13. So in their work meeting, their, their, they had a regularly scheduled Monday meeting. He, they sh he shared the Romans Road. He said they loved it. Within a few weeks, he started his own house church with those guys. Say, yay, God. And then he started, uh, when we began uh, doing our outreach in the parks, we do a lot of outreach in the parks, he started sharing his testimony. And uh, God just continued to use him. Well, the... The rest of the story is where he was working, sales went up, morale went up, but the office, corporate office, heard that he was talking about Jesus. And they said, we're sorry, but you can't talk about Jesus anymore. And he's like, what do you mean? They said, you cannot talk about Jesus anymore at work. He said, I quit. You see, Randy, the only Christianity he knew was Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. And to him, Jesus is more important than a job. He was making six figures. Within uh, 24 hours, he had three job offers, and one of them was from a company that he worked for when he was a kid, young, and that's Pawn Shop America. We have pawn shops in Las Vegas. Are you aware of that? <laughs> we have a lot of them. And pawn shops are, uh, you know, he said, well, I'll take this job. He took a 50% pay cut. He said, I'll take this job if I can talk about Jesus. They said, you can talk about whatever you want. These people are a mess. They, they you know, just <laughs> whatever. Well, this is the truth. That's his crew at his pawn shop. They all got saved. And uh, people would line up before work started to come in because he would pray with any and every customer that wanted to be prayed with. 
gay guy. Well, the story doesn't end there. MTV heard about him because he was known around town as the pawn shop preacher. And they said, we want to do a reality uh, series about you. They called the office, not him, and they said, we want to do a reality series about your pawn shop preacher. They said, we got a pawn shop preacher? <laughs> and uh, they made a corporate decision that they didn't want the gospel to be part of their corporation, and they uh, demoted him and transferred him far away to a, a total other side of town so people wouldn't know where he was. And they said, no more talking about Jesus. Guess what he said? I quit. And he's got another job now. But uh, he is in our Bible Institute. I forgot to tell you, we, we are a unique church. We're not just a church plant. We also do food and clothes daily. And we have a school of ministry. We have uh, groups of people come out for a week at a time for training and ministry in the city. We just had a group from Grace College. Uh, we have students from all over the country come and spend the summer with us doing ministry in the city. We, we've got uh, eight or ten of them this summer, and a bunch of them from Liberty University, for example. And then we've got people that come out for a year or two for an internship. Eleven of the people that have done our internship are now on staff around the country at churches. You say, yay, God. Everybody on our staff is a missionary, so we all raise our own support. So Kathy and Dave are missionaries. And uh, one of, another thing we have is a Bible Institute. Our church is two and a half years old. We have a Bible Institute. We're connected with Liberty University. We launched in January with 14 students. One of our students is a uh, UNLV professor, a PhD professor. Uh, three of them are former drug dealers. One girl used to run a sex shop. One used to be a Mormon, two of them used to be homeless, uh, two of them got saved in prison. So we have a unique Bible Institute. We have a unique church. Uh, we also have a, a center for church planting, and we train church planters. We just last week started our first batch of guys from uh, Utah. We had Salt Lake City, uh, St. George, and then also New Mexico. And these guys are in... In Utah, you realize a Christian is a cultist because of the domination of Mormonism. So these guys are uh, really doing tough things in hard places so God gets the glory. Well, Randy's part of our Bible Institute. He's going to be starting a church in three years. He preaches now. I've got about uh, six guys that preach for me on Sunday nights, young guys. We have two, two campuses. We have a our church is two and a half years old, and we have two campuses. We have a Sunday morning one that meets in a high school, and then we have a Sunday night one. Uh, the high school is kind of in a middle-class area. The, the other one is in a very nasty area where six gangs operate, lots of pimps, prostitutes, drug addicts, drug dealers, a lot of poor people. He preached there last Sunday night, and seven people were born again. Say, yay, God. Look at me for a second. Paul told the Romans, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes it. You know, God still changes people's lives in Las Vegas. He changes people's lives in Gehanna, Ohio. And he wants to use you, being the hands of feet of Jesus, to change your neighbor's lives. All right, I got to shift into high gear here. Number two. Stretch out of your comfort zone to love your neighbors. Stretch out of your comfort zone to love your neighbors. 
Pharisees and scribes were complaining about Jesus. And they said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now think, Jesus is holy God, sinlessly righteous and perfect and just. And yet, when he came to earth, he, hanged out, he hung out with sinners. That's out of his comfort zone. Let me be honest with you. Loving your neighbor will pull you out of your comfort zone. I'm an introvert. Loving my neighbor is never my initial comfortable thing. The Samaritan went way out of his comfort zone to help a Jew who was a mess, who had deep needs. But Jesus said, that's how you love your neighbor. Tell the person next to you, love your neighbor. Now, I'm going to read you a, a passage of scripture that really messed my life up. Um, when I was a, one of the pastors here, I was not good at this, and uh, God really uh, took me to school on it. Matthew 25, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So these are the people that are getting in, okay? What's their qualification? He said, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty or give you something to drink? And when do we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Now, I want you to notice this verse, and the king will answer them, I assure you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Later on, he says, some of you aren't getting in, and they're like, why? And he said, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. A lady named Mother Teresa uh, gave me a phrase that changed my life. She served the least of the least in Calcutta, India, and um, she won a Nobel Prize for it. And she was being interviewed by uh, Time magazine, and she was talking about how she did it. They are like, how can you keep giving out to people? How can you keep serving? And she said, well, we try to pray through our work by doing it with Jesus, for Jesus, and to Jesus. Now, listen to what she says. We, it helps us put our whole heart and soul into it. She says, the dying, the crippled, the mental, the unwanted, the unloved. Look at these words. They are Jesus in disguise. It has changed my life to realize that every single person I encounter is Jesus in disguise. Because he said, the way you treat them is the way you treat me. When you love them, you are loving me. And when you're not loving them, you are not loving me. The person that lives this out better than anybody I personally know is my son, Andrew. A lot of you know Andrew. He's with us in Las Vegas. One of the guys that he's influenced is a guy named Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the guy on the left. He's waving at you there. Um, universal sign of friendship. Um, <laughs> Jeremiah, his mother started having kids at the age of 15. She had four kids with four men. Jeremiah is number two. She was a drug addict. She's no longer living. His father is in prison and getting out this summer. Uh, Jeremiah was living on the streets in Las Vegas. 
uh, he and his girlfriend and his brother Shane and his girlfriend almost died. They decided that, that they maybe they needed God. They showed up at a church. The church saw them and said, uh, you don't fit here. Why don't you go to a place called Grace City? So they showed up one Sunday, and, and uh, Andrew especially is good at taking people in. They started hanging around, and uh, that's at a big outreach event we did in a park. Uh, we, we do them all three weekends a month in the summer and also some in the fall and spring. Jeremiah was there, and uh, he just won the pie-eating contest, as I remember. Homeless people always win the pie-eating contest, I'll just <laughs> tell you that. That night, uh, Andrew gave them a ride home, and they're hanging out. Andrew, uh, Jeremiah had, had a, was a drug addict. He just bought $400 worth of drugs. He looked at Andrew, and he said, you know what? I, we want what you got. What do we got to do? And Andrew said, you got to get rid of the drugs and get Jesus. He said, get rid of the drugs. Andrew said, yeah. He said, let me pray for you. He started to pray, and the Holy Spirit just started moving. He sa Andrew said, the next thing he knew, he saw pipes and bongs breaking, and then Jeremiah got up, grabbed $400 worth of drugs, and flushed it down the commode. <laughs> Yay, God. And what's exciting is, you know, a lot of addicts, they, they wait till they use up all their drugs, and then they want, he got rid of a brand new batch of drugs. He started hanging out every day. Next picture shows him in our, we worship and pray every day. Our church is unique. We have a house of prayer that meets every day from 9 to 10.30, and then on Sundays uh, for uh, an hour uh, or 45 minutes before our first worship service. We worship and pray, and it's a rockin', hoppin', worship-based, uh, spirit-led, word-fed prayer meeting. Well, he was there, and God started changing him. And then Andrew, Andrew was being a good neighbor. He took him in. Instead of living on the streets, Andrew sold his, his bed and bought bunk beds and said, I want you to live with me. In January, I uh, hired... Uh, well. Uh, I hired Jeremiah on staff, unpaid intern, um, so I could kind of tell him what he needed to do, and um, he, he stepped it up. His brother, go back to that one picture, his brother Shane is getting baptized in that picture, that's Andrew baptizing him. Um, Shane is a former drug dealer, I remember the day he got baptized, uh, I read him the riot act and said, you understand that from this moment on, you cannot use or sell any more drugs. You understand, where I live, marijuana is legal, medically, and practically. He now runs, he and Andrew run our outreach center where we give out food and clothes and prayer uh, three days a week. Everybody who works in our outreach center is a former addict and uh, from the street. Uh, we have a little program where we pay them a little bit to be on our staff and it's amazing what God's doing. We give them a step in between the streets to this, to, to real jobs. Say, yay, God. Well, the rest of the story is Jeremiah has been drug-free. You can show the next one. He's been drug-free for uh, two and a half years. He got his GED. He only had a ninth grade education. He got his GED um, with one of the highest scores in Nevada. And uh, started in the Bible Institute. Now he's part of our Bible Institute. 
and now he's that's part of our uh, team of interns that are serving with us. He's one of those people, and he's on staff at our church, real staff at our church. Say yay, God. Yay, God. you got to get out of your comfort zone to love your neighbor. Okay, last one, real quick. Live on, join Jesus on mission. Join Jesus on mission. The greatest missionary in the world, name was Jesus Christ. He left the greatest cultural barrier, and he made the greatest impact. Okay, we're going to read John 20, verse 21. Are you ready? Jesus said to them again, peace to you, everybody now. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Do it again with a little more enthusiasm. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. One more time, a little more enthusiasm. As the Father has sent me. Okay, Jesus' whole life was being a missionary. He's a missionary. He said, as the Father has sent me, I have sent you. uh, Charles Spurgeon said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Repeat after me. I are a missionary. Now tell the person next to you. That's what God says you are. Now either you are an obedient missionary or a disobedient missionary. But you're a missionary. As the Father has sent me, I've sent you. You have been sent. The question is, are you living sent? Are you living like a missionary? The greatest fun you will have in your life is joining Jesus on his mission. Claude and Jenny were here last night at the Whitehall plant. And I asked them, I said, has the last uh, month been the best? Have you had more fun the last month than you've had the rest of your life? And they're like, absolutely, positively, it's awesome. Look, if you think Christianity is routine or boring, you're just not living it right. The adventure comes when you get out of your boat and you join Jesus on mission. It's never meant to be lived hiding in your cocoon. Salt was never meant to stay in the shaker. Well, Kathy and I have lived in Lynchburg, Virginia, as well as uh, Las Vegas and Gahanna. First time we lived in Lynchburg, I was the campus pastor at Liberty University. I, got, I was having my devotions one day, and I came to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Let me read it to you. Uh, verse 8, not chapter uh, 6 and verse 8, it says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who will I send and who will go for us? Who will go for us? And Jeremiah, uh, I'm sorry, Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. And I prayed that morning. I said, Okay, God, here am I, send me. I prayed that prayer with not a lot of faith because I was a campus pastor at Liberty University. Everybody's a Christian. What's God going to do with me as a missionary today? Well, I go to work and I have a repeating thought in my head. Go to the mall, get a haircut. Go to the mall, get a haircut. Go to the mall, get a haircut. Finally, I realized that was God. At noon, I walked out of my office and... uh, we're going out the door, and the secretary said, where are you going, Dave? I said, I'm going to the mall to get a haircut. Now, I didn't want to go to the mall because it was more expensive, and the other reason I didn't want to go to the mall, because Liberty University at that time in Lynchburg, Virginia, was a polarizing thing, and I knew what was going to happen. I was going to go in. They're going to ask me my name, where I work, what I do, and it was not going to be good. They were going to be armed behind me, and I would be unarmed. 
I get to the mall, absolutely. I knew what would happen. There was only one open chair, and the girl behind the open chair was uh, one of the wildest-looking chicks I'd ever seen in my life up until lately. <laughs> she said, come on in, sit down. I sat down, you know, what's your name? My name is Dave. I work at Liberty University. I'm the campus pastor. This is what I heard. Oh, my God. I'm thinking, oh, my God. She's armed. I'm unarmed. This is not going to go well for me. Then I heard this. (laughs) And I look back, and this girl is just crying. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, this morning, I looked up at God's face. And I said, if you don't send a Christian today to talk to me, I'm going to kill myself tonight. That's Lynchburg, Virginia. You think they have broken people in Gehenna, Ohio? You don't have to go to Las Vegas. I can be right next door. I can be in the barbershop. The difference is living sent, joining Jesus on mission. You're commanded to love your neighbor. That's not an option. If you're you're filled with the gospel, you can't help but love your neighbor. Would you bow your heads, please? With our heads bowed, just a couple quick questions. If you would say, I want to thank God because he did speak to me today, and I want to thank him for speaking to me. Would you lift your hands real high right now and just hold them up? Say, God, I want to thank you. I appreciate it. You're good. Thanks for speaking to me. You may put your hands down. Second question. You would say, I, I need to make a few changes, and I need grace to make some changes. Maybe you need to go back to way, the way you used to be when it came to loving your neighbors, but you need to make some changes. Would you lift your hands up real high? Real high, real high. Hold them up there. Everybody, you need to make some changes, and you're saying, God, I need grace to make those changes. Just hold them up there, because as you hold them up, that's humbling, and as you humble yourself, God pours grace into your life. God bless you. They put them down. I got one last question. It would be wrong for us to, to not give you an opportunity to be prayed for if you're a hurting, broken person. Maybe your hurt drove you to check out church. Or maybe you're here all the time, but you're going through a really tough situation. Or maybe you're that person that would say, you know what, I gave God a shot here. And if something doesn't happen soon, I don't know. If that's you and you would say, I am hurting today. And uh, Pastor Dave, would you pray for me? Would you just, you can either look up at me and nod your head or just raise your hand real high. Um, all over this room, that's you. I'm seeing hands. I'm seeing some people nodding at me. All over this room, raise your hand or just look up at me, would you? And when we're done, I will be up here. I'll be happy to, to pray with you. Or, or um, We have other folks, part of the church prayer team here that would be happy to pray with you. In fact, right now, the music's going to begin. And I'm going to invite you to stand up. And if you just want somebody to pray with you, don't, don't leave with the same burden you brought in. So let's stand for prayer. Father, I just ask you to pour out grace on us in the name of Jesus.
And God, I ask you to work and bring glory to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. And as you stand, if you'd like to just walk over right now to one of these prayer places. Let somebody pray with you right now. Let them pray with you. Let them pray for you. Let uh, them be the tool of God to lift the burden that you brought in.